Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter number 19. And so we're going to be looking here this morning uh, a little bit at the life of Elijah. We're not going to start at the beginning. We're going to kind of jump into uh, this portion of Scripture where uh, he has just defeated the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Uh, and then he goes through a difficult time after that. Uh, and so we're going to pick up there, 1 Kings chapter number 19, and we're going to look at the first 18 verses of, uh, of 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. So if you found your place there, uh, we're going to begin reading right here in verse number 1, chapter 19 of the book of 1 Kings. Uh, and the Bible says there, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods... Do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, and thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and brake it in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel I have forsaken thy covenant. And thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat. Uh, of Abel-Maloah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees 
which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I want to speak this morning on this thought, the necessity of the wilderness. And let's pray. Father, again, we just stop this morning and we invite you and ask you, Lord, to be with us. Uh, Lord, may your presence be felt among us wherever we are as we're gathered here together online. Lord, may our hearts be open to your word. Holy Spirit, may you speak to each one of us. May you strengthen our faith, encourage us in the way. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help some perhaps that are discouraged this morning to be, in the, to be lifted up. <clears throat> Lord, help all of us to understand that uh, sometimes the difficulties in life are what forms us and shapes us and makes us into the people that you need us to be. Lord, help us to have, again, our hearts open to your word now. In Jesus' name, and amen. You know, as we look at this this morning and what's been transpiring, uh, Elijah has uh, fought some tremendous battles. He has been very busy uh, serving the Lord, and he has been very out front, leading the way, confronting uh, the, their culture, confronting what the nation is doing as a whole, uh, confronting their direction, confronting the direction of the leadership of the nation. Uh, and uh, he certainly here is feeling the, the weight of the burden of, uh, of what God has given him to do, though uh, he has, has done so with great victory. He has accomplished much um, but he is still feeling the weight and the burden of the burden that he bears. Uh, you know, he, he has gone through a time when uh, God has used him in a great way and his busyness has kind of insulated him from uh, some of the dangers out there. And now that this great victory has been won, as he's defeated the prophets of Baal, and there seems to be a time that you would think he, there would be great rejoicing that uh, that the, the altars of the false gods now have been destroyed and God has been exalted. Uh, but when a threat comes from uh, the leadership there, it it's, has the opposite effect upon him. Uh, he's been enjoying a period of prosperity, though it's been a period of busyness. And that period of prosperity has left him ill-equipped for uh, adversity. And you know, that's just kind of human nature, no matter when you look at uh, at different periods of history, whether it be uh, just historically through the ages or whether it be the history of the Bible and the, and the people that are listed in the Bible, when there's been times of great adversity and times of great uncertainty, then there's been a drawing closer to God. And when there's been times of prosperity and ease, then there tends to be a drifting away from God. Uh, I think the day and age in which we live, we are so blessed by the convenience of so many things. And in the area in which we live, uh, it is, it is really, uh, there's not, the amazing thing about living here is that there's generally not anything that we would ever need that's more uh, than about 15 or 20 minutes away. Uh, and so just about anything that you would desire, you don't have to go far uh, to find it if it's within your means to get it. And uh, we can hit a drive through We can call something in in advance and stop, run in quickly and get it and be on our way. Uh, we have all of the conveniences of technology in the modern world at our fingertips, and it has created a busy lifestyle. It has created a lifestyle where we're constantly, perpetually in motion, uh, where our minds are continually engaged and, uh, and, and it's almost as if we can't just stop and focus on one thing. Uh, oftentimes we find ourselves, you know, involved in one thing and yet still being engaged 
uh, and technology at the same time. And, uh, and we just kind of have this lifestyle that is so busy that even in our leisure time, we're busy. Uh, and uh, maybe not busy doing anything constructive, but our moments and our times and our, uh, our thoughts are consumed continually. And because of that, uh, there's not a lot of time to just stop and reflect. Uh, I go through periods of time and seasons of time where if I stop and, uh, and you know, kind of take care of self or reflect a little bit or spend time meditating, uh, I almost at times feel guilty because I'm not going at 100 miles an hour at max capacity. Uh, and so Elijah's been running it on empty. He's been running at full capacity. He hasn't been able to find time to stop and to recharge. He hasn't been time to stop and to take care of his soul. And I'm not saying that Elijah was in a bad place spiritually, but I am saying that I believe that he was in a vulnerable place spiritually. I don't think that he had sin that had crept into his life. I don't see any indicators that would cause me to think that he, uh, that he got to a place where he didn't care about what he was doing. I just think that he, he got to a place where he was physically, mentally, and emotionally and spiritually spent and he needed time to recharge. And God knows that, but it, it causes here now kind of a collapse and kind of a, a period of depression that he goes through. And I think that those are things that we all could relate to uh, in our own lives. It's easy to look at him and say, how could you just do what you've done and then be so vulnerable or, or, or be, uh, you know, so afraid of a threat uh, that it would cause such a reaction. Uh, but the reality is, is that all of us go through the same thing. Uh, on different levels and different scales at different times in our life. And I think that this time that we're in is one of those times that it's just kind of, uh, it's kind of, we, we've been forced to slow down, most of us. We've been forced to, uh, to have a little bit more time to reflect if we have taken advantage of it. And so, uh, you know, that, that's put us in a place where we have been going full blast and now we just kind of slowed down and uh, we don't know what to do with it sometimes. Sometimes we don't know how to respond or how to react. We almost feel uh, at times guilty. Then on the other hand, um, you know, that we, we lack kind of a, a, a spiritual tenacity and toughness that, uh, that going through the wilderness kind of presents. And I think that if you look historically at the church and you look historically at people in the Bible and God's people in times, God strategically brought them through wilderness experiences so that they would be focused and so that they would be focused on Him, so that they would gain some tenacity and some toughness about them spiritually. Uh, and I think that those are things that we don't enjoy. They're not certainly anything that we want to choose for ourselves in most cases, but they are things that God from time to time brings into our life. And so uh, when, you, when you realize that sometimes we find ourselves lacking the relationship with God that we should have, and there are times when the only way to develop that relationship is to come away from things for a while and to just spend time with the Lord. And so there are a couple of places here in our text where he references 
the wilderness. First, Elijah, uh, early in the text, gets was responding to Jezebel's threat. Uh, and he flees from her and he seeks refuge in the wilderness in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. So at this point he is fleeing from his problem. You might say that he's fleeing from uh, his responsibility in some levels. And uh, he is now starting to feel vulnerable. And so he flees and he goes into the wilderness. Now the wilderness by definition is... A desert place and so a place that is uh, void of a lot of uh, vegetation a place that's a void of a lot of com companionship and company uh, it's a place that's barren uh, it's a place that is described of there being nothing there that's desirable. So when we talk about a barren place, there are a lot of different applications to that. But ultimately, whatever its shape, whatever its form, however it looks, it is a place uh, that is desolate. It is a place that is barren. And it is a place uh, that there is nothing there that you would look at and say, this is desirable. This is what I would choose. This is what I would uh, want to be in. It, it refers to a state of disorder. And so Elijah is going from a straight a place of great order to now a place of uh, disorder. In chapter 19 and verse 15, we see again, And the Lord said unto him, Go return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And so when he emerges from this cave in which he is hiding, again, God sends him to the wilderness. Now, I don't think that's by mistake. I think that the wilderness is very significant in the people of God's lives. Uh, and even the Lord Jesus Christ spent time in the wilderness. And so Elijah now uh, has achieved what we would refer to as some form of spiritual greatness. I mean, you stop and you think about what Elijah has done. He has, uh, at the command of God, gone to the king and said, it's not going to rain for three years. And then he's gone uh, and confronted 400 prophets in front of all the nation and the king. And he has destroyed them, slain them in front of uh, of all these witnesses and uh, so he is someone who is known as a man of God as a someone who speaks and acts upon God's behalf with great power and authority uh, and so he is someone that was to be looked up to at this point and so in chapter uh, 17 and verse 1 you see him confronting King Ahab uh, with this issue of the rain at the behest of God. Uh, in chapter 17 and verses 15 and 16, you see that he miraculously provides food and, and care for, uh, for uh, the, the widow woman that cared for him. In chapter 18 or 17 verses 17 and 19, he can, can courageously confronts an angry Ahab. Ahab comes angrily and are you he that troubles Israel? And he says, no, I don't trouble Israel. You've troubled Israel. It's your sin. It's your leadership. It's your decision making that has brought this drought, has brought this time of difficulty. And God has provided for him in a miraculous way. In chapter 18 and verses 37 through 38, we see him call fire down from heaven and deal with these prophets. And then in, uh, in the end of chapter 18 and verses 41 through 46, he goes and prays and restores the rain that has been halted for all this period of time. And so he certainly knows what it's like to have God's power and to be obedient to God, to have God speak to him uh, in a definitive and unmistakable way and to act on God's behalf. There, there's something unique about all of these events. In all of these events, uh, he follows God's instructions to the letter. But in all of these events, he knows the outcome before he starts the journey. God says to him 
This is what I want you to do. This is what the outcome is going to be. This is how I want you to handle this. This is what the result's going to be. Uh, when it comes to this threat from Jezebel, he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. And so there's a change in uh, his uh, mental and spiritual capacity and understanding when now he's in a position where he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. And because of the fear of not knowing how it's going to turn out, he gets overwhelmed and he flees and he goes out into this, uh, the, into this desert place, into this wilderness and he hides in a cave. And he begins to think about himself, to think about the things that he's done uh, and, and to, uh, to the, what he's going through and he feels alone. Uh, and he feels, uh, now I've been threatened and now I look around and uh, there was no one standing with me except for God when I stood out in front of these men. And now they're actively seeking me out and searching me. And so he's dealing with this threat. He's begun to pity, have a lot of wallow in self-pity and comes to a state of depression. But the reality is, is that he's not alone. He's not aware of the others, but the others are there. Uh, he doesn't personally know of what they're going through and what they're, but God has been working. And there are, in fact, uh, these 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal, that are just like Elijah. They're just not out front. They've not been leading. They've not uh, been bearing that, that out front burden, but, uh, but they're there and they're uh, longing to be with God. And so Elijah in his self-pity uh, begins to block out the reality of other things that are going on. And then he just desires to die. Uh, you know, it's just, God, I've done my part. Um, just, just go ahead and call me home. Uh, I don't want to deal with Jezebel. And so he's in the wilderness. He's in a place that's a place of dearth. Spiritually, he feels cut off and alienated. Uh, and he doesn't feel safe. He doesn't feel secure. And you know, it's an amazing thing. We want to feel safe and secure. We desire to feel connected to the Lord. And that's, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that sometimes circumstances in life are going to lead us to a position to where our walk with the Lord and our, our, our living in the day-to-day -day Christian life is not always easy. It's not always convenient. Uh, and we don't always feel that God is right there close to us, though we know biblically that he is. So the reality tonight, or this morning, is this, that safety is not found in the absence of danger. Safety is found in the presence of God. And, and what Elijah is looking for is for the danger to be removed. And what he should be focusing on is what he's been enjoying throughout all this process, and that is the presence of God. Whether he was at the brook fed by ravens, whether he was in the presence of a widow woman fed by her, whether he was uh, standing up against those that stood against God, no matter what his circumstance, God was with him. And so now God begins to speak to him. And in verse 11, we see this great thing transplaced where, uh, where he is here wallowing in self-pity and, and thrown with, with uh, depression, talking about how they're, they're, they're trying to kill him with the sword uh, and they're seeking my life. Uh, and then uh, he said, go forth and stand up in the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break the pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire, a still small voice. So what's going on here is that God is reminding him of his greatness and his power. God is working in his life. God is encouraging him in the way. God is strengthening him uh, as he lives and as he, uh, as he does that uh, which needs to be done and which has to be done uh, to the glory of, uh, of God. And so God begins to demonstrate and to show uh, how he is at work in his life and how he's just as powerful as he was when he stopped the rain. He's just as powerful as he was when he brought down the fire from heaven. He's just as powerful as he was uh, when he did all of these other things and he's given Elijah uh, instruction in what's coming and what's going to do. And so as he is going through this process, he's in the wilderness, he's hiding here uh, and a great the Lord passes by. And so this great wind passes by. Now it's the Lord passing by. But he said, Pastor, but it said, but the Lord was not in the wind. Well, the Lord wasn't speaking in the wind. But it's God's passing by that brought the wind. And so God is bringing this wind. And this is not just a gentle breeze. This is a wind that's causing uh, rocks to be shifted from their place and, uh, and to, be, uh, to be smashing against one another. This is a, a, a very powerful wind. And God saying, hey, look at my power. I have control of the wind. And then the earth shakes. God's again saying, I have the power to shake this up. I have the power to shake uh, the earth. Then the fire comes and he's dealt with the fire. He has called the fire down from heaven. Uh, and after the wind and the quake and the fire, then there's calm. And it's in the calm that he hears the voice of God. It's in the calm that God speaks to him. And you know, sometimes... My friends, we need a wilderness time because it's in the quietness of the wilderness that we once again can hear the voice of God. The reality is, is that sometimes we get so busy that all we hear is the wind. Or we get so busy and we get so wrapped up and so self-absorbed that all we hear is the feel is the quaking of uh, the uncertainty of things around us. Or we, uh, we are consumed by the, the fire and the passion that drives us to do that next thing, to complete that next task, to uh, achieve that next goal. Uh, and we get so focused on the goal and we get so focused on the accomplishment that we sometimes forget to follow God in the process. We mean well. We are serving the Lord. We're trying to follow his guidance and his will for our lives. We're trying to live lives that please him. But sometimes we run faster than God wants to go. Sometimes we focus more on what we perceive the goal to be than we do listen to God if he changes our course a little bit or if he shifts our direction a little bit. And so uh, I'm saying that after after the wind, after the quake, after the fire, in the calm, the still small voice. Sometimes it's hard in the current pace of life that we live culturally to slow down enough to read and study thoroughly enough that we truly can hear God speaking to us that we can truly hear the Lord leading us, that we can truly sense the Lord's direction uh, in our lives. And four things about this this morning, and we talk about this wilderness, this place that none of us would choose, this place that seems to be a place of dearth, a, a place that seems to have nothing to offer, 
is a place where many times you see God's men finding God. And we're going to look at that as we get to the end of the message this morning. But why is the wilderness necessary? What was necessary about the wilderness uh, in the lives of God's men? Elijah spends time in the wilderness. Moses spent time in the wilderness. Paul, the apostle, spent time in the wilderness. Jesus spent time in the wilderness. What is it about the wilderness that changed their life? Because the wilderness truly, in what we see, is a life-changing experience. It is a place where they emerge differently than when they entered. So what's necessary about the wilderness in the Christian's life? And I would say, first of all, this morning, that the wilderness is necessary for our humility. See, God looks for people to serve Him that are of a humble spirit. And sometimes we have an air of humility, but it's not true humility. Uh, sometimes, you know, the, the, the people that I, I have been around throughout my life, that uh, there, there are just some people that know how to talk humbly. But they're really not that humble. They know how to mask, but they're really in their self-evaluation and the way that they look at themselves and the way that they feel about themselves. It's not really, though their verbiage is humble, their self-feeling is anything but. And there's a, a deeper humility that we need to be what God wants us to be. We have been mandated by God to walk humbly before him. Micah chapter number 6 and verse number 8, he said, He, showed, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly before thy God. Listen, we have to be mindful that everything that we do, no matter how well-intentioned, we are doing so only at the behest and for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. To walk humbly before our God. To walk subserviently to Him. To walk surrendered to Him. To walk in light of His direction and to follow the path that He has given. I am to walk humbly with my God. To walk hand in hand with it, to follow him wherever he leads me through life and uh, to do that which he has, uh, that he has directed and put in our heart to do first biblically and then personally as he leads us and guides us with uh, Bible truth and principle. So we are to walk humbly with God. Secondly, I would say is that God dwells with those that have a humble spirit. If I want God to dwell with me, now I know that if I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, that the Holy Spirit indwells me and in that sense, he is with me wherever I go and that he secured my soul for salvation. I understand all of that. But there's a difference between someone abiding within my home and someone dwelling comfortably and having full reign. And so what we're talking about here is that God dwells, God feels comfortable with those that have a humble spirit. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 states it this way, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That person that 
has a contrition about their spirit. When we sin against God, we want to make it right. When we do something that we know displeases the Father, we want to get that squared away. Our spirit is a spirit of wanting to maintain a close personal fellowship with God and to walk humbly with Him. That's who God dwells with. And what Elisha, Elijah has throughout his life up to this point is he has been dwelling with God, but he gets his focus off of that as this threat from, from Jezebel comes and he turns and looks simply at himself. God comes back and says, hey, we're in this wilderness now. Let me, let's get reacquainted. Let me remind you of my power. Let me, remind you, let me remind you that I'm in control of everything. Let me remind you that if you'll stop and you'll listen, I'll speak to you and I'll lead you and I'll direct your paths. Some of my friends, if you're at a place this morning where you're uncertain about direction, what you're going to do, how you're going to respond, how I'm going to get through, just stop and listen to what God wants to speak to you. So, Pastor, I've been listening. I haven't heard God. Well, have you stopped and cautiously, carefully read his word? Have you prayed and opened your heart to him? Have you stopped and let him do some of the talking so that he could get through? The wilderness is necessary for humility. See, when I get into the wilderness, there, there's nothing left about anything that I could have done or anything that I could have built or anything that I could have accomplished. It's just a dearth. It's just hollow. It's just empty. The second thing that I would say about the wilderness and its necessity is it's necessary for our hardening. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about a hardening of our heart towards God. I'm talking about a hardening in the sense of giving us some spiritual toughness. You know, uh, we are in a battle. We have been commanded by God to earnestly contend for the faith. Uh, we have been uh, put in a place where we have to stand up in a hostile environment and preach the love of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, oftentimes to people who are unwilling to uh, listen to that message. And when they hear it in that mindset, they're, they're not accepting and it becomes uh, something that which we are liable to be persecuted for. And a matter of fact, Christians in a lot of places in the world today are persecuted for preaching truth, for living the gospel, for, uh, for sharing their faith. And, uh, and the wilderness is necessary for hardening. You cannot get hardened and get toughened up without going through some difficulty. You cannot uh, get ready for a hard time without, uh, without going through some hardship. And so uh, I would look and say at this time that we're going through now, it's kind of exciting in the sense that, uh, that this is causing folks to stop and to listen to God. And it's time uh, where our faith uh, has had an opportunity to be tested and to grow where our faith has had an opportunity to, to put us in a position to where we have to rely upon God because we cannot rely upon self. And that, that is a strengthening. That is a hardening, if you will. It's a putting of calluses on our spiritual hands and our psyche so that not that we're not hardened to God, but we are, uh, but we are toughened up so that we can face the hardships of the world and life in this world. And what truly ministering the gospel to a hostile environment uh, is liable to set us up for. And so spiritual uh, toughness uh, is obtained through trials. It's the only way that it's obtained. 
And you stop and you look at what Elijah goes through here. You stop and you look at what Moses went through in the wilderness. You stop and you look at what Paul went through. Uh, you stop and you look at what Jesus endured in his 40 days of fasting and praying in the wilderness. You stop and you consider all of those things. What did it accomplish in their lives? What did it bring about in their lives? And what it brought about was a spiritual wherewithal to endure affliction. To, to not be destroyed or defeated emotionally and mentally whenever trials came, when problems came, when persecutions came. It gave them the ability to have some toughness and some tenacity about them, some inner strength that they could rise up and face a Pharaoh or face Satan in Jesus' case or face imprisonment and shipwreck and hardship in the Apostle Paul's case. All of these times where they were alone with God and they spent time getting to know Him and they were fed and nourished by Him prepared them for times of adversity. Spiritual toughness must be obtained in or by trials. Not only that, but the wilderness forces me or makes me turn to God. In Psalm 63, we have uh, an account of David when he's in the wilderness of Judah. And in this psalm, he writes about his experience and he says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. My right hand upholdeth me. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. And what we see, David, in this time of turmoil and affliction is turning back to God. His attention, his focus is back on God. It is a drawing close. It is a time to seek the Lord and to uh, be encouraged by him. So we've seen this morning that the wilderness is necessary for our humility. It causes us to look and to realize that without God, we're helpless, we're nothing. And then secondly, that the wilderness is necessary for a hardening, for a strengthening, for a toughening up of our spiritual well-being. Thirdly, I would say that the wilderness is necessary for hearing. See, it's in the wilderness that he hears this small, still small voice. He couldn't hear it in the hustle and bustle of the city. He couldn't hear it with the outcry of the mob uh, at the altar. He couldn't hear it uh, with, uh, with the, the rage that was going on behind him from uh, the day-to-day the -day, uh, normalcy of life. But he could hear it in the wilderness. And God is always with us. We understand that. But there's just something about being with God in a wilderness environment. And let's just think a couple of things about God's still small voice this morning. First, 
oftentimes it's missed because of hurriedness. Sometimes we just miss it because we're in too big of a hurry. I, I'm susceptible to that. Sometimes I sit down with my Bible and I've got uh, an agenda for the day and I've got uh, a certain amount of, the, of my Bible that I miss maybe that day I've kind of blocked off. This is what I'm trying to get read through today. And sometimes when I'm in that mode, I don't always want to slow down. Sometimes there's times when God makes it abundantly clear that I need to just kind of chuck the plan out the window and I need to slow down and just focus on a smaller portion. I need to dig a little deeper. I need to gain a little more understanding. I need to get a little bit more insight. I need to slow down and to not be in such a rush so that I can hear God. So that God has an opportunity to speak to my heart. I would say about that also that sometimes we miss what God says because we're in a hurry. Sometimes we miss what God says because there's just too much noise. There's too much noise about what everyone around us is saying. There's too much noise uh, about worry, too much about how people are going to think or respond. Sometimes there's too much noise uh, just in general with the things going on in life. But the reality is, is that God does not use a bullhorn or a PA system to get the attention of his children God speaks in that still small voice. He speaks when we get quiet, when we get settled, when we begin to listen, when we begin to look for him, when we begin to seek him out. And my friends, this morning, the wilderness is a place that sometimes is necessary for us to be able to once again reconnect and to hear our God. How clearly do you hear his voice this morning? How well are we in tune with what God's trying to say to us? Fourthly and lastly this morning, I would say this, that the wilderness is necessary for harnessing God's power. The wilderness is necessary for harnessing God's power. Listen, the reality is, is that I'm not going to get up and just go through my day with God as an afterthought. I'm not going to get up and I'm not going to go through a time where I just, uh, you know, read casually a few passages, pray a short brief prayer and then uh, go out and do good things and do so empowered by God. What I think that we see, especially in the lives of those that I've mentioned, is that after a time of being alone with God in a wilderness, they emerged with power. They emerged not just with a mandate for God about what he wanted them to do, but empowered by God to accomplish the mandate. He did not send them out in their own ability. He sent them out in his power. I want to just kind of briefly look at, I've mentioned these men a few times this morning. Obviously, Elijah is a primary source here as he is the, uh, the subject of our text this morning. But uh, look at Elijah's life. He has gone through a series of victories. A series of victories. He has done great things. He has done miraculous things. He has done things that have captivated the attention of his fellow servants of God and the enemies of God as well. Everyone knows in Israel that it's the prayer of Elijah that stopped the rain. Everyone understands. They may not understand uh, that it was Ahab's actions that caused it, but they do understand that it was Elijah's prayer that made it happen. And both sides wanted it perceived that way. Elijah certainly wanted people to know that God did this. And Ahab wanted people to know that Elijah did this. And so Ahab didn't want responsibility for it. But God's power is what did it. 
but it was Ahab's sin that caused it or that brought it on. And so Elijah has this series of victories in stopping the rain and defeating the prophets of Baal. But then Elijah was defeated by the enemy. He was defeated by depression. He was defeated by the threat of a wicked woman. He was de defeated uh, at a time in his life. But God in the wilderness comes to him and lifts him up. And then ultimately he goes to heaven in a chariot. And so Elijah, after the wilderness, goes to heaven in a chariot. He's not done serving God, but he's near the end of ministry and God still uses him and he trains Elisha and then God takes him miraculously to heaven. Moses fled from Egypt, banished 40 years in the desert. A no one. Being humbled by God. Being formed and shaped and transformed by God after God meets him in the desert, takes him back to Egypt. And he emerges leading out his people, parting a sea and seeing God do great and wonderful things for them as he brings them to the promised land. Why? Because when he was in the wilderness, he met I am. See, Elijah in the, middle, in the wilderness hears the still small voice of God. Moses in the wilderness met the great I am. He met God in a real and direct way that was different than anything that he had ever experienced in his life. And when he did it, he emerged serving God in power, leading his people in power. The Apostle Paul, and we don't know the exact details of when he went into the wilderness, but we know that for three years he was alone in the wilderness. We presume that he was there trained by Jesus as Jesus trained the other men and he uh, gets set to go forth to ministry. The one thing that is clear that Paul has told us is that that time in his life was transformative. And the man that he emerged as after that experience was much different than the man that he was as he went into that experience. And when he rose, he rose a great writer of scripture, a great testifier and pro proclamator of the gospel. He was one who God has used not just for his lifetime, but for all of the church age. His impact lives on. Jesus certainly had no flaws and no misgivings as he entered ministry. But even Jesus did not enter ministry without going through a time in the wilderness, without going through a time where he faced temptation. All of the others had failures in their temptation. Jesus never did. But Jesus emerged from the wilderness to take up the greatest mandate from heaven of eternity, to walk in perfection, to walk in power, to live in the spirit and to bear our sin and to rise victorious from the grave. That power came from the wilderness. And you stop and you look and evaluate men that God have used throughout history 
There have been wilderness experiences that have emerged from. Sometimes they were tragic. Sometimes they were hardships. Sometimes they were health related. Sometimes they were financially related. Sometimes there's all different ways and shapes and forms that the wilderness can take. But the reality is, is that the wilderness is either going to cause my inner collapse and it's going to cause me to withdraw or it's going to be a time when I hear the still small voice of God and God is going to prepare me and develop me and grow me in a way that he could never develop me and prepare me and grow me in a normal circumstance. I'm saying that sometimes we need the wilderness. That sometimes God leads us to the wilderness so that we can listen and hear his still small voice so that he can emerge and his will can be done. Notice how his will comes to fruition. Elijah's great fear is that these people are going to destroy him. And what God says is, you just get up and you go do what I've told you to do. You just get up and you go out there. I, I am this still small voice. And when Elijah heard it in verse 13, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what are you doing here? What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here? Why are you not busy doing that which I've given you to do? Then he gives him instruction. Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Anoint Haziel, anoint Jehu, train Elisha. Haziel will destroy your enemies. The ones that get away from him, Jehu will destroy and the ones that get away from him, Elisha will destroy. But you've nothing to fear because you're in my, in my hand. You're in my guidance. You're in my power. Let me use your life. My friends, this morning I, I say that God wants to use your life. That God wants to touch your soul. God wants to minister to your spirit. God wants to strengthen your resolve and your wherewithal to live the Christian life with fervor and with passion and for the glory of God. And sometimes the best place to get reacquainted with God, the best place to hit that reset button, the best place to find that inspiration is not in the hustle and bustle of the normal busyness of everyday stress-free somewhat life, but in the quiet of the cave and the quiet of the wilderness. When all the noise settles, and there's no one but you and God and your heart becomes open and your heart gets humbled and my heart makes me willing to hear and my heart allows God to harness his power that it might be unleashed in those in my life. I said, Pastor, does that mean that if I go through this and I'm going to go out and build mega churches somewhere? No, what it means is that when I harness this, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, in the power of God, accomplish that which God has determined my life to accomplish. What God has placed and determined for your life may be one specific individual that will do something great in years to come. It may be the investment in something that seems to man's eyes a small thing, but man can only see the here and now and not how God's going to use it in the years to come. I think even with a man like the Apostle Paul that they could look at him in his lifetime and they could say, wow, what a wonderful and powerful thing God did in his life. But even with that, no one could imagine all that Paul would accomplish and how it would still impact our lives today. 
how God would use him in such a magnificent way that he lives far beyond his life on this earth. My friends, it doesn't matter how we look and how our lives are valued according to the, the opinion of man. It matters, did I do, did you do what God created me to do? And the only way that any of us can do that is through the power of God. And the only way that we find the power of God is in times of the wilderness when we can hear a still small voice speaking, when we can humble ourselves and yield ourselves to him, and we can emerge and allow him to live through us for his glory. Would you this morning embrace the wilderness? Would you this morning pause, settle, and listen for the voice of God? Would you, would I this morning humble myself, humble yourself before him as he leads and do what he's given us to do? Will we trust him? Will we live for him? Will we be empowered by him? Eternity longs for that. God longs for his people to surrender their hearts and wills to him so that he can unleash his power on the world around us. Not a power of destruction. That'll come when his judgment and time and this time. He doesn't need us for that. What he needs us for is to unleash his power on the lost. To unleash his power on those that are hurting. To unleash his power of love and of compassion and of grace. So that Jesus is lifted up and so that souls are brought to salvation. So that lives are changed. So that God is pleased. And so that heaven can rejoice.